I'm beginning at verse 17 of Exodus in chapter 13. Exodus 13, verse 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. It was the shortest route. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of cloud of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I want to give you a definition of types, of type. Because typology is what we're going to talk, study tonight, a typology. A type is a divinely prepared illustration which prefigures a corresponding reality. It is a divinely prepared illustration which prefigures a corresponding reality. It is an, a picture, an, a pattern of that which is coming, a coming event or person. That is typology. The word literally means a likeness so that persons and events and things so foreshadowed some appointed uh, event or person. And typology is taking up a person and things and events and treats them like prophecies of the future. There are two or three New Testament words that are uh, primary with regard to types. It helps you to understand what a type is. The first is the word shadow. Hebrews 10.1 says that, that the law having a shadow of a good thing to come. So that even though there is dimness in a shadow and transitoriness in a shadow, it does have a measure of resemblance between one and the other. So that a sh you see somebody's shadow, it's not, it's, it's dim and it's transitory, but it does resemble the person, the real thing, you know. The second word is the word parable, or an illustration. So that in Hebrews 9.9 it says that the tabernacle is an illustration for the present time 
So that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was an illustration or a parable of something yet to be. That something yet to be was Christ himself. And the third word is the word pattern. It's a word that denotes a sketch or a draft of something future that is invisible. So when you get into the Old Testament and you see these types, these shadows, these patterns, these parables or illustrations of something yet to come, you know that they are that which describes something yet to be or prophesies something yet to be. Now, by the way, how do people get saved in the Old Testament? They get saved in the Old Testament just like you get saved in your day, except for one difference. In the Old Testament, people were saved by looking toward an event yet to come and trusting in that event yet to come. And therefore, they had types and illustrations and patterns and shadows of that which was going to come to bring redemption to the world. And they trusted in that, that, that vision. They trusted in that event that was typed in the Old Testament, that pattern, that shadow that was prophesying some future event. So that person in the Old Testament was saved by looking forward to the, to the redeeming Lamb, and those after Jesus are saved looking back toward it. But we're all saved the same way. Amazing, amazing thought. That in the Old Testament, people were saved by trusting in an, an event that was yet to happen. And the people in the New Testament age are saved by trusting in an event that did happen. And all of us are saved by trusting in one and the same thing. Now there is a warning I need to uh, mention tonight with regard to types before we get into one. And that is the danger of looking into the Bible and every little thing looking for some deeper meaning. And, and, and there was a time when preachers preached a lot on typology and they found these patterns and these illustrations in the Old Testament and talked about them and they, they went overboard on it so that they saw in every little commonplace event some real hidden meaning that was there. That's a dangerous thing and needs to be avoided. But I want us to come tonight to look at this type of the Holy Spirit. This thing that happened in Moses' day that was a foreshadowing of an event yet to come, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the world. Now there was a visible sign of, the, of God's presence in the world as they moved out of Egypt. A visible sign was a, plow, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, as, uh, you know, the best we can understand about this was that there was this, this phenomenon that the upper part of this phenomenon reached toward the heavens like some column and the lower part of this phenomenon called a pillar of cloud stretched out over the camp of, of Israel like a cloud. But they were one and the same thing. In other words, it wasn't that in the daytime you'd have this cloud hovering over the camp and at night you'd have this ball of fire like you saw in the Ten Commandments. 
But they are one and the same as Exodus chapter 14 verse 24 indicates. And it is this, that in the nighttime, the upper part of this phenomenon was like fire that illumined the lower part of this phenomenon. And so by that illumination, they could travel at night. And in the daytime, when there was sunlight, it was just like a cloud settling down over them. And so with this visible presence of God in the wilderness, man was conscious of the fact that God was guiding him. He could travel by day and he could travel by night. Now, I submit tonight, and I want us to you know, spend a little time looking at it, that what was happening there in this, in this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire was a foreshadowing of the giving of the Holy Spirit, a foreshadowing of the precious person of God we call the Holy Spirit. Now there is, we believe, in, in biblical uh, theology, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God manifests Himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You have seen God manifested as Father in the book of Exodus. He's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the father of mankind, that is, he is man's progenitor. We have seen the manifestation of God the Son in the book of Exodus, in the, in the bleeding, vicarious, suffering lamb who was slain in order for Egypt to be redeemed. And now we come to the manifestation of God the Holy Spirit, the visible presence of God in the wilderness, in the, in the phenomenon of the pillar of fire and cloud. Now there are some ways in which this cloud typified the Holy Spirit. I want us to jot these down and take a look at them. There are ways in which this cloud typifies the Holy Spirit. So what is going to happen tonight is not so much that we're going to, dis you know, we're going to discover what this cloud was like in the wilderness, but we're going to take a fresh look at the nature and the ministry of the Holy Spirit now as it's illustrated in an Old Testament event. Are you with me? So that what we see tonight is the Holy Spirit's nature and work as it is demonstrated or pictured for us in the pattern of that work and ministry in the Old Testament cloud. That's where we are. Now I've been doing, I've been, hey, I've been working today. This is the fifth time I've had to, to speak today, and so I'm about worn out, so you're going to have to help me. You know, don't go to sleep, and you know, don't beat on your watch. And if, if occasionally you have a question, raise your hand. We'll try to answer it. If I can't answer it, I'll call on somebody. I know who will. All right. There are ways in which this cloud pictures the Holy Spirit. Number one, the cloud was not given until they delivered from Egypt. The cloud was not given until they had been delivered from Egypt. Watch this. First, the slaying of the lamb, then the giving of the cloud. That's the order in the New Testament. There was first of all the death of the, of the lamb of God, 
followed by his burial and his resurrection and ascension. And then there was this public descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that is the order of every individual's conversion. Now watch this. First there is the recognition of the finished work of Jesus at Calvary and our appropriation of that finished work by faith. And when a person exercises his faith in the finished work of Jesus at Calvary and the resurrection event, then the Holy Spirit is given to that believer and not until he appropriates his death by faith. And this marvelous order is pictured everywhere in the New Testament, especially in the book of Romans is it pictured. For in the second chapter of Romans, there is repentance. In the third chapter of Romans, there is faith. And in the fifth chapter of Romans, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that there is turning from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Slaying of the Lamb and then the giving of the cloud. Second, the cloud was God's gracious gift. There is no word here about the people asking for a guide. It is the unsought, tender provision of God's mercy. Now, you'll need to turn with me now and let's get our Bibles. This is a Bible study tonight, so you'll need to do with you'll need your Bible or to be able to quote from memory the scriptures. Now, if, you, if you're not able to quote the New Testament from memory, you're going to need a Bible close by. Snuggle up over there and just look over, over his shoulder, Mr. Wonderful, and, uh, or he, Mrs. Wonderful. Now, let's look at John chapter 14, okay? John chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses 16 and 17, two of the greatest verses of Scripture there is. Now, this is Jesus. He's talking to His disciples before He departs this earth. And this is what He says to them. Now, remember, they've not asked Him for anything. They've not asked Him for help. They've not asked Him to, you know, to send somebody else. He just comes to them, and this is what He says. He says, I will ask the Father... And He will give you another helper. Now, if you've got a New Testament, I want you to circle the word another, A-N-O-T-H-E-R, and it means another of the same kind. In other words, He's saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and I'm going to ask Him to send you another Jesus, another one just like me. That's what that means. I'm going to ask Him to send somebody else after I'm gone, who is another me, who is just like me. Now, 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 folks, I don't know what else to say to you except this. That in dwelling your life tonight, or in, in this room, and, and with you daily, is another Jesus. There is another one just like Him. You are not living in a world that is Jesus-less. The other Jesus is here. And indwells every believer. He said, I'm going to send another one just like me. That is, he's, he's telling us who he is. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him or him. Behold him or know him. 
But you know Him because He abides with you. That is, you know who He is because I'm Him. And, I will, and He will abide in you. Now, He's made the promise that after He is gone, He will, as a gracious gift, give us His Holy Spirit's presence. Then it happened. Okay? Let's look, at, let's look, at back, look back at Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Luke 24, verse 49. It's what Jesus said in another way. He says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm sending the promise of my Father but you're to stay here until you have power, and when you have power, you know the promise has been fulfilled. All right, now, look over at the book of Acts, chapter 2. My good um, Church of Christ friends are familiar with this verse, and I have a bunch of them, and uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a wonderful verse. That's what it says. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive, what? Say it. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this promise that Jesus made was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And... and Peter's preaching this Pentecostal sermon, and he says that when certain conditions are met, then you get the promise that was made, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn over. We're in the neighborhood. Let's look at Acts chapter 10, verse 45. Acts 10, 45. And all the circumcised believers, these are Jews, all the Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. Now what is this gift of the Holy Spirit? It is not speaking in tongues. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself. And it's this gift that Jesus promised, the promise of the Father. And, and the Jews were amazed that the Gentiles got the same gift they got. That is the Holy Spirit. All right? Acts eleven seventeen. Acts eleven seventeen. Is what it says. If therefore God gave to them the same gift as He gave us to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And this is Peter's defense of of uh, allowing the Gentiles to experience the gospel. Now here's the point. Is The point is this, that the cloud was God's gracious gift. God has promised you the gift of the Holy Spirit when? When you receive Christ as your Savior. When you're saved. When you exercise faith in Him. So that everybody in this room tonight who has trusted in Jesus Christ has received the gift promised by Jesus, and that is the other Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus in you. What a statement. Why aren't you giving high fives and, and uh, 
shouting hallelujah. All right, third. The cloud was to guide Israel through the wilderness journey. What a wonderful, merciful provision. This this infallible guide was to lead them through the track lizard so that the Holy Spirit has been given as our guide. Now Paul said, as many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He leadeth me, oh blessed Lord. Now if you don't hear anything, hear this please. Every decision you need to make in this world and every place you need to go and everything you need to do, the Holy Spirit knows perfectly and He will guide you in those decisions. He will do it. Now you don't have to And what we desperately need in this country is somebody to lead us who is led. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we had somebody who leads us who's led? And that's, that's the provision God made in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does He lead us? Well, He leads us by means of an inward impulse. Now, watch this carefully. If a person is seeking the leadership of God... And he's living in a, in, a, in, a, in a trust mode, in a trust mode, and he's seeking the leadership of God. The first impulse he has, he must trust is God's leadership. James said, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give liberally without making him feel stupid. Tid will translate. So if I'm seeking the leadership of God, you know what I can do? I can go to God and I can lay my finger on that verse in James and I say, okay, Lord, I need some direction. I need some guidance as to what to do about this. And when I get up from there, the first impulse that comes to my mind, I have to leave as the leadership of God. He does it. He leads by inward impulse and He leads by external directions. He leads through His Word, and He leads through the counsel of believers, godly people. He leads through messages. But the Holy Spirit is here to lead us. We're not in a trackless desert alone. All right, number four. The cloud gave light. How beautifully does Nehemiah remind us of this. And Centuries later, and you read it sometime, we don't have time to look it up. It's Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12, when he talks about this this wonderful leadership, uh, this wonderful um, uh, light that the Holy Spirit brings upon the path. Now Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you in all truth, all truth. Isaiah says He's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's the Spirit of counsel and might. He's the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He gives you light. You don't have to be ignorant. Don't have to walk in darkness concerning these things. Now I want to show you something in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn to that second chapter of 1 Corinthians. Staggering, amazing, amazing statement. 
Do you know this is in the Bible? Look at this. Chapter 2, verse 10. For to us God revealed them. He's talking about secrets, mysteries, insight, truth. To us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? You know what he's saying? He said, who knows what you're thinking except you know? I wish I knew what you... No, I don't really. wish I knew what you were thinking. You know, I can't read your mind. That's what he's saying. Nobody can read your mind. The only person who can know what you're thinking is you. Look at what he says. For who among men knows the spirit of man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. No one knows the thoughts of God, follow this carefully, except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Do you understand the magnitude of that statement? Let me just amplify it with, with, by reading the rest. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of the Lord. Now let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that there is only one person who knows the mind of God, the thoughts of God, the secrets of God, the deeper meaning, the deeper things of God, and that's the Spirit of God. Then he goes on to make this profound revelation that you and I have by having the Spirit of God privy to the thoughts and the secrets of God. Now, I want to say this without... You know, I don't want to be sacrilegious or blasphemous in any way. But if this means anything, it means this. That you, by the Holy Spirit, know what God thinks. That's an astounding thought. It's unfathomable to me. That by the Holy Spirit, I am privy to the thoughts of God. Now, if God has made His thoughts available to me by having the mind of Christ, He says, it's not the spirit of the world, the spirit of God. I, I can think like God thinks. Holy cow. All right, number five. He spoke from the cloud. Psalm 99 verse 7 says, 
as the psalmist looks back on this event, he says, He spoke unto them in the cloudy pillar. Now, the Holy Spirit is the spokesman of the Trinity. You hear me? The Holy Spirit is the spokesman of the Trinity. The Scripture says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, what happens is, is that when you're born again, God designs you with ears so you can hear Him. It refers to these ears as the ears of the heart. Now, I got ears on my head, but when I got saved, I got redesigned, and I got ears so I could hear Him. Because, hear me now, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, wonderful thing, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that God can talk to you and you can hear Him. And He gives you ears to hear Him. You're born with ears to hear God. And I'm absolutely convinced of this, that, that hearing God is that wonderful privilege of the believer that he seldom exercises. little spit flying there. Watch out on the front row. <laughs> he, he speaks to us. And we hear Him. Now, there are a lot of sounds going on out there. It's amazing to me that you can go inside your house tonight and turn on your television and, and you turn to channel 3 and you get these sounds that are coming off. This microwave from somewhere. And you turn on channel 3 and you pick up those sounds. I don't like channel 3, it's turn on channel 5, or five 4, or 6, whatever. And I get to microwaves come off of those. All kinds of sounds that are out there we're not even conscious of. And I'm, I've, I've heard, you know, I'm getting off into weird stuff, but I've heard that, you know, these been sounds since the beginning of time been out there. And I, if I've got the right kind of receiver, I can tune in and hear those sounds that are out there in the world, out there in the universe, out there in the sky, wherever they are. Let me tell you what. When a little child comes up to me and says, Pastor, God spoke to me today. I believe Him. And I said, oh, well, good for you. Congratulations. You know what the truth is? The truth is that God speaks to every one of us again and again and again. Most of us have tuned to another channel. And when we start tuning in to the channel where God's speaking, let me tell you, you'll hear from God. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Two others and we're out of here. He says that He never took the cloud away. Never took the cloud away. Now, I was under the distinct impression that the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New was that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was temporary. Have a little problem here. He never took the cloud away. But I did not remember that the Old Testament picture of the, of the Holy Spirit is a, is a shadow, is a typology of what is yet to come. And what he's saying to us is this, is that when the Holy Spirit comes to us, the Holy Spirit that the cloud typifies or, or prophesies, that Holy Spirit comes 
permanently. Now let me ask you this. How are you going to be lost again if you're saved and the Holy Spirit comes and the, and the evidence of your salvation is that the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you and He never leaves? How can you be lost again if the Holy Spirit never leaves? Tell me the answer to that. Let me put it another way. If the Holy Spirit comes and that's the evidence, the guarantee, the seal of our salvation and He comes never to leave, how can you be lost again? You can't. One last thing. The Scripture says that the Holy Spirit rested upon the tabernacle. Now when we get over to the tabernacle in the book of Exodus and we discover the beautiful typology of the Lord Jesus Himself, we remember of that great event when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon Him in the form of a dove and rested upon Him. And the Holy Spirit rested upon the tabernacle. I guess the conclusion of all of this is, is this. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God's gracious gift to everyone who exercises faith in the Lamb. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the inevitable, the inevitable an incontrovertible result of the mercy of God. And the Holy Spirit is what every man and woman needs in the desert. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this revelation of truth. May it be more than just a history lesson but a hope, the revelation of life, provision, redemption, and salvation. I pray this in the name of Christ and for His sake. There are three invitations tonight. I'd like for you to... to, to What's a better time than tonight? When are you going to get baptized? You've trusted in Christ? What's, what's better than to do that now? Or maybe you need to join the church. It's time to, time to get into the church and go to work in, a, in, a, in the body of Christ. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ tonight. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.